Uh, I'm not necessarily going to share everything from uh, the book as we go through these. And in fact, we're going to be in part one for a couple of weeks. We're not going to leave uh, part one right away. And so if you've not received any of the books, they're available on the table in the back. If you want to take an extra copy of book two and three home, um, and begin praying over them. Because the whole point of these booklets is for us to make disciples. That's what, it's, that's what it's about. It's for you to use with someone else that accepts Christ so that you can help disciple them along the way. And uh, if you want to take an extra copy home and begin to pray for whoever that person is going to be in your life, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, because if we're not looking for opportunities, we will never see opportunities. Amen, that's good preaching, and we didn't even get into the sermon. Um, if we're not looking for opportunities, we will not see opportunities. If we're racing through our day, and we're not looking for opportunities to release the kingdom or to minister to people around us, we will not see them. We have to look for those opportunities in order to be able to, to see them and find them. And so I want to encourage you to take those. Um, just as a short recap, um, the four themes in this book are in a star in book, I believe it's in book two, and the four things that we're going to just keep repeating, these are the four core values of this series, is love, loving God, or connecting with God, as we've talked about, uniting with other believers, or connecting with the body of Christ, serving, serving others, or serving the world, connecting with the world, as we've talked about, and then the last one is entrust, and that's what we're going to really talk about today, and as much as I would like to use the word connecting again to say we're connecting with the kingdom, that's just not the best way to say it. So we're connecting with God, we're connecting with the body, we're connecting with the world, and we're releasing the kingdom. When we connect with God, we receive the kingdom. Freely you have received, freely give. When we come and connect with the body of Christ, when we connect with people in the world, when we sit at these tables, that's where we release what we've received. Kingdom in, kingdom out. And if you don't have anything to release today to someone else, you need to get back to the table of intimacy. We've talked about these three tables, and we're going to continue to circle these three tables. The table of intimacy is what God prepares for us, and this goes beyond just a daily devotional time. This is a time where you sit, you gain identity from Him. You sit there while you're at work. You sit there while you're at play. You sit there all day long. When you're at the table of intimacy, that's where you gain identity. That's where you're connected with the Father. And Jesus said, if we don't stay connected to Him, we will not bear fruit. Amen. That's good preaching. I'm going to help myself today. Because you have to learn to fight to come to the table. You're not going to come to the table naturally, even once you're born again. Because everything in society and everything in our world and everything in our sinful nature that we are to put to death is going to fight against coming to the table and staying at the table. You're going to be drawn away from it by all kinds of things. By difficulties, by the cares and anxieties of life, by past hurts, by bitterness, by unforgiveness, by all these things. They're going to pull us away from the table of intimacy and you and I have to learn to fight to stay at that table. Because only when we stay at that table can we do the other things. We are not going to be able to connect with the body of Christ and sit at the tablehood of brotherhood and unite with the body of Christ if we do not sit at the table of intimacy. And you cannot sit at the table of intimacy and not connect with the body of Christ. Because if you sit at the table of intimacy, you begin to get his heart for his body, even the body that is broken and marred. 
I know, we're, we're all looking for the perfect church to attend and join and unite. I'll just join the church when there's, when there's perfect people. Well, guess what? The moment you find that church and join it, you've ruined it. Because there ain't nobody perfect. And some of us are waiting to sit at that table because we haven't spent enough time at the table of intimacy. Second thing is the table of brotherhood, the imago Dei. This is the idea that we of all as human beings been created in the image of God. When we look at people in the world, we see their sinful nature. We see their actions. And what we need to see is the fact that they are created in the image of God. And that image may be marred by their sinful nature right now, but God has a plan and a purpose and He's designed us to speak life and hope over them, not to declare what is, but what is to to come that's the prophetic voice and the reason that many christians can't declare that over the world is because we don't sit at the table of intimacy to get his heart for the lost and all we do is go out there and point out what they're doing wrong rather than pointing them to the one that can set them free amen that is some good preaching and so today as we talk about again these tables and this is the circle we're going to keep making we're going to talk about this question have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? I want you right now, I want you to turn to the person beside you and I want you to ask them, have you heard the good news? Do it right now. Ask them, have you heard the good news? And I want them to answer and then I want them to ask you an answer. Have you heard the good news? Okay? Good? All right, now here's the thing. If they said no, I want you to look back and say, well, get ready, you're going to hear it today. If they said yes, then I want you to say, when did you first hear the good news? Okay, if it's a no, ha ha, you're going to hear it today. And if they said yes, ask them when they first heard the good news. Go. All right. I warned you that in the coming weeks we were going to get a little more interactive. Baby steps. That's all the interaction I'm going to make you do today. Okay, so breathe deep. Those of you that are introverted can now relax and hear the Word of God without the pressure of what's going to come next. Uh, you might be worried about what's going to come in other weeks, but uh, at least for now, that's it for the day. As we talk about the good news, the word good news is the word gospel. And as we've talked about in the past, this word gospel was not a religious term. In our society today, when you hear gospel, you associate it with church, you associate it with the Bible, you associate it with Jesus, and it is the good news. This was a political term back in the time of the Roman Empire. This was not a religious term. There was a good news of the Roman Empire that would be declared, and it was a way to get people on your, your side, on your team. When you went in and conquered a land, you gave them good news because nobody likes to be conquered. But you're telling them what the kingdom of the Roman Empire is going to bring to them. It's going to bring running water. It's going to bring indoor plumbing. It's going to bring entertainment. It's going to bring wealth. It's going to bring education. It's going to bring medicine. That's the good news of the Roman Empire. And so people might be like, oh, I could get into this. And maybe it's not so bad that we've gotten overthrown. Maybe this is a good thing. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I've come to declare the gospel of the kingdom. There's a new king. There's a new kingdom. And it's a political 
politically subversive word. What he is declaring is, there is a king that reigns over Caesar. Now you understand why many of the church were, were being martyred for their faith. Because they were usurping the kingdoms of this world in their proclamation of the gospel. There is no other name except the name of Jesus. And so as you look in part one of the book today, you're going to see that we were created for relationship. And it's going to lead us through a a progression of points, and some of them I'm going to hit on today, some of them I might not hit on today. There's a note section in there. You can take some notes, you can maybe circle some things, you can highlight. Whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you can use it. One full page just for notes. You don't have to write down every word I say, but you ought to write down what the Holy Spirit illuminates in your heart today. When Way back at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, It tells us that we were created for relationship with God. We were created to be with God. We were created to have conversation. We were created to cooperate. We were created for partnership. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, it says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. The image of God has been stamped on every human being since God first created Adam and Eve in His image. You and I get our identity not from anything else except the Creator who created us. This is where identity comes from. In our world today, we are having identity crisis. Some of us gain our identity from what we do, from our job. I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm an accountant. I'm a pastor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a I'm a I'm a bus driver. I'm a worker. I'm I don't know what I am, but I'm I'm all these different things. But can I tell you, your identity does not come from what you do. It comes from who you are, created in the image of Almighty God. Identity is not based on how we feel or how we identify. It is not based on race or gender or nationality or anything else, at least not in the beginning. Identity comes from Him. In Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus came as the second Adam, the one come to redeem mankind, the one come to do it right, Adam did it wrong the first time around. The second Adam comes to do it right. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Jesus was baptized. And as he came up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. Okay, do not get this wrong. He descended like a dove, but he is not a dove. He is the third part of the Godhead, fully equal with God the Father and God the Son. Don't forget the Holy Spirit because He's been given to us to empower us to live out everything I'm going to tell us today. The Spirit of God descended on Him like a dove, and the voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. That's the identity marker. And can I tell you, before Jesus ever performed a miracle, before ever, Jesus ever preached a sermon, before Jesus ever did anything but grow and live in, in obedience to his parents and be submitted to them, that's all he's done up to this point. The Father says, with him I'm well pleased. 
It has to come from the table of intimacy. You have to hear that spoken over you. And if you don't, you will forever try to find your identity in something else. And I will tell you this, you will, you will burn out trying to find identity somewhere else. You will look for it in men or women. You will look for it in drugs and alcohol. You will look for it in positions within the church. You will look for it everywhere and you will not find it except in the voice of Almighty God saying, this is my child. We were created with identity. We were created for purpose, to rule, to reign, to have dominion, to be a reflection of the image of God. The reason that God said do not make any graven images of him is because you and I, as human beings, were created. We are the image bearers of God. We have been created to display him on the earth. And male and female give us the fullest picture of the image of God. The reason I believe women have to have a voice in the, the church, not only because I believe that's what Scripture points to, I don't believe women are told to be silent in the church. I believe women need to speak in the church because the fullest expression of the image of God is found in male and female. In your home, as husband and wife, you are a full reflection of the, the image of God to your children, to your neighbors, to your community. Now, if you're here and you're like, well, I'm single, you can be the image of God is a part of the body of Christ. Okay, this isn't to say that if you're single, you, you're, you're half a person. That's not it at all. If your spouse is an unbeliever, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You still display the image of God. Purpose. That's our purpose. We also have a position in Genesis chapter 1. The position that we have is that we were created in the image of God. We are not gods. Listen, we are not gods. We are subservient to Him. He is God. We are His image bearers. There were two trees put in the garden to remind them of their position. One was the tree of life. They needed to eat from the tree of life because God was the source of life. Even after they sinned and were moved from the garden, they were removed from the garden not because of their sin, but because because of their sin, they could no longer partake in the tree of life and live forever. I don't know that Adam and Eve were created as eternal beings apart from eating the tree of life that God provided for them in the garden. He is the source of life. And if we were created eternal without Him, then we are gods. We weren't created eternal. We were created for eternity with Him, partaking of the fruit that He provided in the garden. That's a reminder. There's another reminder. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree is a reminder that you don't know best. I don't know best. He knows best. And you can look at that tree and you can say, oh, that tree looks pleasing to my eye. That tree looks good for food. But if he has declared that tree off limits, there's a reason. Do not reason in your heart and mind and do not usurp his authority and partake of that tree. He is God and we are not. When we stepped outside of our identity, our purpose, and our position, mankind fell. And sin separated us from the relationship you and I were meant to have with God. Now, the image of God became marred in our lives, but it is not removed. 
And the reason that over and over, I, I tell you as a church that we treat all people on earth with dignity and respect is because people bear the image of God. I shared with you the quote last week from Tim Keller that said, per square inch, our cities have more of the image of God than any other place on earth. And that's not to say that the prairies aren't beautiful, but people bear the image of God. Mountains and trees maybe point us to God, but they do not bear the image of God. Only human beings bear the image of God. And some of us would rather spend more time in nature than with image bearers. That's a problem. Because it's in that place of with other image bearers that we understand Him much better. The body of Christ, human beings. And so our commitment to human rights must be based on the fact that people are created in the image of God. When we talk about the image of God becoming tainted in our lives, it's the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin. And there is a lot of controversy that surrounds the doctrine of original sin because we're like, are we born in sin? But if we're born in sin and, and I'm a baby and I die, does that mean because I was born into sin that I don't go to heaven? How do we rectify that? And so theologians have all kinds of discussions. And if you want to read about it or study it, I'll point you in that direction because there's some fascinating things to talk about and understand and to, to, to try to process I want to talk about one, one aspect of it today. When we talk about original sin, we're not necessarily talking about the sin that Adam and Eve committed. We're talking about the ramifications that came to all human beings as a result of the original sin. We're talking about original because it's from the beginning and it's where all of our sins originate. So whether or not we are born with a sinful nature, whether or not we are guilty from birth, I, I'm not going to even go into that today, but here's what I'm going to tell you. It doesn't take long for us to become lawbreakers and become guilty. You don't have to teach children how to sin. It's part of our nature somehow. So whether we're guilty at birth or we're guilty at the place of our first sin, it doesn't matter. The image of God is marred and broken in our lives. And as a result of it, you and I choose to rebel against Him and do things our own way. As a result of that, we have broken relationship with Him. The problem is if we teach the image of God being in all human beings without the doctrine of sin, what we, what we get is this idea of universalism where everybody gets to be saved. When you teach about the image of God without the doctrine of sin, then everybody gets to go to heaven and everyone gets saved. But if you teach about the doctrine of sin without teaching about the imago Dei, the image of God in mankind, all we get is legalistic moralism. You need both to understand what Christ has done for us. In Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Verse 19, Just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, through also... 
Through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Paul repeats this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Sin and death come from original sin. Resurrection and life come through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's who we are. No, that's, that's what we do. That's not who we are. We have the image of God, but because of sin, this is what we do. Because of that nature. It doesn't mean human beings are incapable of doing anything good. But more often than not, the good things we do are marred by a level of selfishness. The good things we do without the Spirit of God are really sometimes for our own good. It's not because of true goodness, because we've been marred by sin. Our nature, our desires, our thoughts have been corrupted. As a result, you and I have been declared guilty. I wish I had a gavel. Guilty. Because when we think about guilt, you and I many times, we associate guilt with a feeling word. We even either sang it today or Christy mentioned it. Shame and guilt and condemnation. We think of that as how I feel. But can I tell you this? You can be guilty without feeling guilty. You can be guilty without feeling guilty. Our desires have been so corrupted and so tainted, they cannot be trusted. When God's word, God's character, God's standard for right and wrong declares me guilty, it doesn't matter whether I feel guilty, I am guilty. Amen. The tree looked good and pleasing for food, but it was not. The scripture says there is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. And I fear that many people are putting hope in a false Jesus. One that does not teach imago Dei and also doctrine of sin. One that says if you don't feel guilty, you're not guilty. When this book declares you guilty, you're guilty. If this book says stay away from it, stay away from it. And there's nothing that we can do to reconcile our relationship with God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, The wages of sin is death. Isaiah 64, 6, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Here's the thing. Our good deeds cannot make us not guilty. The moment we transgress God's law, we are guilty, declared guilty. Doing a good deed does not erase the guilt of the bad deed. Blood sacrifice is needed to cover the sin. 
But even the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament could not cleanse our conscience. It could not take away our guilt, and it cannot transform our nature. And now you're like, Pastor Tom, this is not sounding like good news. You're right. But if we don't understand this, the good news will not be good news. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh. I, I have prayed this week that we get this. We need to be born again. And I know that you're like, I know, I know that, Pastor Tom. I memorized that verse. Please hear it as if it's the first time today. You and I, need to be reborn. The resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus are the solution for what ails all of us. In Romans chapter 3, let's go back and give it a little bit more context. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That sounds a whole lot different when it's read in its context. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. No doubt our sin needed to be dealt with. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus dealt with our sin at Calvary, the past, present, and future sin once for all. Our guilt and our sinful nature still needed to be dealt with, but he dealt with our sin. And many times on Friday of Good Friday, people are already thinking about Sunday. I know it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Can I tell you on Good Friday, just sit on Good Friday. Just sit and understand the weight of the cross and what Jesus drank for you and I. Because if we do not understand the weight of our sin, if we do not understand the depths from which He took us, we will not understand the good news that comes on Sunday. Don't rush past it. Don't just look forward to the resurrection because if you're not dead, you won't be raised to life again. Oh, but Pastor Tom, I'm dead in my transgressions and sin. And you need to sit in it for just a minute and understand what he did, not just by dying for us, but by being buried and raised to life again. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus offers eternal life. What he's offered us is restored relationship with God. Church, hear me. He's offering you something more than the forgiveness of your sins. He's offering you something more than just a ticket to heaven. He's offering you restoration to your original place back in the garden. Our original nature. It's about restoration. This is what it is. It's about the kingdom of God coming near and being in us. In John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Praise God that you've tucked 
you've, you've punched your ticket to heaven. But can I tell you, there's more than heaven one day. There's heaven today. And the people around you that you work with, that you live with, that you live by, all need the kingdom of God that is within you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will. I will live with them. Do you hear the commitment to this? I will live with them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Even before the foundation of the world, Jesus was crucified. God set his heart from the moment he said, let there be light. And he said, I will be their God. I will live with them. I will walk among them. And he knew at that moment what he would have to to give up, what it would cost him. And he did it anyway. He is committed to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, not will come, has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the good news. If you want to go out there and tell the world about their sin, please make sure that you tell them that that God is no longer counting their sins against them through Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can I tell you, this is the nature of God. From before the foundation of the world, Jesus was crucified is what Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 says. And the reason is because that's the love of God. It's His nature. It's selfless. It's giving. It puts others first. God did not react to original sin. God had already chosen to die. He did not run away from the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. He came into the garden and He pursued them. And He said, where are you? And He made a way for them. He declared a promise in that moment that He would make a way for them to live among Him again. The first Adam chose his own way. He chose his own selfish desires and his own reasoning. But the second Adam came and said, Not my will, but your will be done. And he did not do that so you and I would be free to choose our own way. Because if we choose our own way, it still leads to death. He did it so we would be free to choose God's way again. He restored us to the choice. He made it possible for us to choose life. That's why Paul says all things are permissible, not everything is beneficial. All things are free. You can do it all. But only one choice will lead to life. Jesus has become the tree of life for you and I.
so that when we eat of his body and his blood, we come to life eternally. It's come full circle back to the garden. And this is so important because so many of us are just hanging on till Jesus comes. And we are not made to hang on till Jesus comes. We are made to fill the earth and subdue it. In Romans chapter 8, Therefore, brothers and sisters, you have... I'll get it under control. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You used to. When we were dead in our transgressions and sins, we had no choice but to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. But now we have a choice. And if you live by the sinful nature, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Church, it's time to stop toying with things that this book says get away from because it's not bringing life to your marriage. It's not bringing life to your home. It's not bringing life to your workplace. Stop toying with it and reasoning in your mind why it's good. It didn't work out for the first Adam and it won't work out for you. The Christian life is a war against the desires of our flesh. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, don't lie to each other. You have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator. That's eternal life. And become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slaved or free. Christ is all that matters. And He lives in all of us. Your identity is not what you do. Your identity is not who you think you are. Your identity is now hidden in Christ Jesus. And our identity comes from knowing Him and being hidden in Christ Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. I could have told you this morning that I was going to have trouble getting through this. But church, one of the things I told you a few weeks ago was that I was just going to pray to get caught on fire and just let people watch me burn. And as I was preparing for this Sunday, I was like, God, we don't, we don't have a clue what this means. I mean, we do a little bit, but I'm like, oh, we need to know. Because if we understand this, if we understand our total depravity, the one who has forgiven much, loves much. If you're struggling in your relationship with God, you need to see the depths that he went to get you. If you're struggling with loving other people, it's not about self-control to love them. It's about seeing the depths. Because there is not a human being you will encounter that is in a deeper depth than you were. And that's what transforms us from the inside out. So the question is, have you heard the good news? Well, you have now. What are we going to do with the good news? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 tells us what to do. Repent 
the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. It means turn around. It means admit that you've gone your own way. It means admit <clears throat> that you have looked at stuff and said, oh, that, that, that can't be that bad. It feels good. It looks good. And you can twist this book to let you do all kinds of sinful things. But I promise you, it will lead to death. And coming to Jesus is coming and saying, I've gone my own, I've gone my own way. And it's to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on his death. Believe on his burial. Believe on his resurrection. To understand the ultimate price that he paid for you and I. And he didn't have to do it. I mean, we could argue that because it's his nature. But he chose it. And he laid aside his rights and privileges as God and he came to this earth to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he calls us to commit ourselves to him. You cannot receive the one who came to give his life as a ransom for many and continue to live for yourself. You need to sit longer at the foot of the cross and see what he did for you. The depths out of which he saved you. And you, like Jesus, in your own Garden of Gethsemane moment, need to cry out, not my will, but yours be done. I love that Christy reminded us today there's no cost too great. There's no cost too great. Some of you may feel like you have to give up something that's a huge part of your life. But can I tell you, it's not your identity. Your identity is hidden in Christ Jesus. And nothing that you lay down to follow him will ever, ever give you the life that following him will give you. Ever. Not my will, but yours be done. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to get the communion element um, ready to, to pray. If you want to peel back the, the cracker, if you want to peel back the, the layer for the juice, And I don't know if you're in the room today or if you're watching online and you want to take communion with us, the only requirement we ask is that you be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I don't know where you are in your relationship with him. My guess is there's somebody, at least in this room or online, that has never committed their lives to Christ at least in the way I've defined it today. Or there are some that say, man, at one, at one point, man, I was following. But then the, the cares and the anxieties of life came in and choked out the fruitfulness of that word in my life. The difficulties, the struggles, the hardships, the offenses have crept into my life and they have scorched that word and it's not bearing fruit anymore. Can I tell you that all you have to do today is acknowledge that you've gone your own way. Believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and confess to, to follow after him. Not my will, but your will be done. That's it. And so right where you are, 
I want you just in this moment with your, I want you to just bow your heads, get yourself in a place of a posture of prayer for just a moment. And if you need to do that today, if you need to acknowledge it, do it right where you're sitting. Admit to him you've gone your own way. Believe that his death, his burial, his resurrection covers your sin, past, present, and future, and empowers you now to choose, empowers you to to put to death the desires of your sinful nature and to choose him again. It brings you back to your original nature. And in just a moment, I want us to, we're going to partake of the juice and the cracker together. But I want to read from the Apostle Paul's prayer. In Ephesians chapter 3. Because church, this is, this is the crux of it right here. If we do not understand the depths of our sin, we do not get to understand the depths of the love of God. And the moment we acknowledge it and we recognize it and we lay it all out. And again, I know that some of you today are wrestling with something so costly. I mean, something that almost even feels like your identity. That he's going to call you to lay down and to pick up the identity that's hidden in Christ. But can I tell you, the moment you do, you go deeper into the love of God. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Even from before the beginning of the world. To expose to us the depths of our sin. So that we might have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. My prayer today is that you would experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, so that you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And that's my prayer for you. So Father, as we take this cup, and as we take this, this cracker, this bread, that just symbolize the body and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for reaching down into the depths of where we were. Thank you for coming to this earth and laying aside all the rights and privileges of of God and humbling yourself to become obedient to that death on the cross. The scourging, the whipping, the brutality, the mocking, all to cover our sin. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin that comes through your blood. And God, I pray today as we partake of these things, that we would see and understand not only the depths of our sin, but the power of the resurrected life that you've made available to us through Jesus. 
that you are no longer counting our sins against us. But your desire is for us to be the people that live with you, that you walk among, that you can be our God and that we can be your people. Holy Spirit, only you can make the realities of those truths resonate in our hearts today. Do that as we eat this cracker and drink this juice, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Partake together if you would. Jesus. Jesus. Here's the thing, church. Whether you feel guilty or not isn't the question. It's whether or not God's word declares you guilty. And whether you feel forgiven or not, what matters is when God's word declares you forgiven. And if you've acknowledged And if you've believed and you've committed your life to him, not my will, but yours be done, today all of heaven rejoices over you. And all of heaven stands ready to walk with you into this week. Because you're about to walk into a war where you have to choose every single day to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow after him to put to death every desire and craving of the sinful nature and by the Spirit of God live according to life. That's the good news. That's possible for us this week. And so Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in our lives. Forgive us for the times where we've grieved you or we've quenched you in our lives by rejecting your voice and following our own way, by pushing past the roadblocks or the ways of escape that you've made available to us and choosing to continue to live according to the desires of our sinful nature. Holy Spirit, I pray that today each one that's in this room, that's watching online, would overflow with hope by the power, by the power that you bring. Holy Spirit, as we move through this week, help us to fight, to stay at that table of intimacy, to receive from you the mercy, the grace, the love, the power that we need to sit at the table of brotherhood and the table of Amajo Day. Thank you for the work that you've started in us. Help us to cooperate with you this week so that you can finish the work that you've started in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's good news, isn't it? It is. And so if you, as I said earlier in the service, if you still want someone to pray with you, uh, our prayer team will be available for a few moments here after the service. We always want to make that available to you. Uh, if you need to be dismissed, you're going to be free to do that. Uh, again, stop by the table in the back. Lots of information. Pick up your book that's available to you out there as well. 
offering baskets for tithes and offerings, global outreach are there as well. And uh, God bless you as you go today.